0: Good morning I'd like to add my welcome to you I'm uh, eager, excited, and, and humbled to to bring God's word to you this morning. Uh, as ryan said we're, we're officially hopping uh, back into the book of of Romans for the next few months uh, and if you recall uh, from Ryan's introduction to this series way back at the end of of january this is the, this is the book that, that Martin Luther called "Purest Gospel," and it's not just pure gospel for the Romans. It's not just pure gospel for the reformers of the 16th century. It's purest gospel for us. Uh, And so we should read it expecting that that God has a word in it for us today. This quote I'm about to read we read at the beginning of, of this series, but it bears repeating. In Luther's commentary, he says that Romans can never be read or pondered too much, and the more it is dealt with the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. And so it's, it's with that in mind that, that we return this morning to this, this glorious book filled with gospel. We're continuing uh, this series in chapter five. So if you have your Bibles, you can, you can find your way there. And we've just come out of almost four uh, entire chapters where Paul is dealing with the, the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And and he's been looking at that from, from different vantage points and different angles. And so to set the stage for our text today, I want to remind you of what justification is. Listen to Paul explain this doctrine in Romans 3, 21 through 26. He says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So justification as we understand it here and elsewhere in, in scripture is God's legal and forensic declaration of righteousness over the sinner on the basis of Christ's redemptive work. Justification gives the believer a new legal status of not guilty before God. And this is a gift apart from the law. It's and it's not just a legal fiction. It means that you can literally walk out of the courtroom free of the charges. It's the best news there is. Some Theologians argue that that justification is is the main theme throughout the entire book of Romans. And while I don't think that that that's the case, it's certainly one of the foundations that that Paul is laying in chapters 1 through 4. And now Paul's going to hinge on that reality, that reality of justification, and he's going to move into a new part of of his argument. So today's text is going to help us understand how our Justification affects us in our circumstances today and in the uncertainties that we might face tomorrow. So, if you're able, out of reverence for God's holy and infallible word, would you please stand for the the reading of Scripture? Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the authoritative word of God. Let's pray. Father, would you open our eyes to to behold beautiful and wonderful things in your word. And Spirit, would you change us by those things that, that we see Would you apply them to our hearts? Would you bless the the preaching of your word now? In Jesus' name, amen. You may may be seated. The the main point of our text this morning, the main point that, that Paul is getting at here is that justified Christians can live faithfully in their present circumstances and they can live hopefully as they await their promised future. Justified Christians can live faithfully in their present circumstances and hopefully as they await their promised future. My aim this morning is to encourage you as justified believers to live with great confidence, great hope, and great joy. We're going to look at three different blessings or three different fruits arising from our justification. First of all, the, the fellowship of justification. Outside of Christ, Jew and Gentile alike, we walk this earth as guilty, condemned men and women under the rightful wrath of God. We live with, with our tails between our legs and we're uh, scared, we're deserving of judgment. The, the Bible tells us that the wages of our sin is death, an eternal separation from God, And our experience even confirms that reality and the, the shame, the, the misery we feel on account of our sin. And so, in our sin, we, we hide from, from one another, we hide from our creator, we, we try to show, uh, sow fig leaves to, to protect ourselves. Listen to, to verse 1 of our text. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. Is there any sweeter news than that? In Christ, God's wrath has been completely satisfied. There's no more need for those in Christ to fear. This isn't just some, some subjective inner feeling that we have. This is the objective reality of being in a relationship of peace with God our Father. He, he loves us. He's welcomed us your sins are forgiven you can come back to the table and and eat with the family Paul is encouraging us to live confidently in this this peace and fellowship and so when you go through your days and and nights with Satan accusing you of your sin and holding it before you you need not listen to, to his voice and when your kids see the ugliness of your sin over and over and over again, you need not live in perpetual condemnation. You can repent of your sin. You can walk in the freedom of your justification. And when the, the world says that you're just another one of those hypocritical Christians, you don't need to fear the, the sting of that claim. It's becoming increasingly easier to listen to the loudest voices in the room or to to capitulate to to the masses, to give in to the fear of man, but as Satan and as the world and even as our own consciences speak judgment against us, God speaks peace to those who are justified in Christ. And so it's his declaration, his word to us that, that we must cling to by faith and Repentance. Furthermore, Paul tells us in in verse 3 that we are to stand in this grace. We're not just to be slouched in some defeated posture. Instead, we're to be strengthened by this this fellowship that we have with, with God. Calvin says, and by the word stand, he means that faith is not a changeable persuasion only for a day, but that it is immutable. And that it sinks deep into the heart so that it endures through life. It is then not he who by a sudden impulse is led to believe that has faith and is to be reckoned among the faithful. But he who constantly and so to speak with a firm and fixed foot abides in that station appointed to him by God so as to cling always to Christ. Oh, that, that we would exhibit more confidence in the, the fellowship, and the, the freedom, and the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Justification has brought us into the state of God's grace in Christ. And it's to be the, the characteristic, the dominant theme of our lives. It's been said before that the most dangerous person in the world is the person who knows that he's justified. His sins can, can no longer be held over him because they've been hung on the cross. Would Emmaus Road Church be, be filled with people freed from the guilt of sin and at peace with God like that? This would change the way that we live presently in every relationship, in every circumstance. It, it frees us from the fear of condemnation and shame and it allows us to, to walk in joyful obedience as we live in fellowship with the Father and with one another. It also prepares us to, to face suffering. And it's our justification that, that fortifies us in the midst of our trials. And so the second blessing of our justification is the, the fortitude that it gives us. This text reminds us that our suffering when viewed in light of our justification, serve as reinforcement and confirmation of our salvation. Look at verses 3 and 4. Not only that, not only do we have peace with and access to God, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Notice, The the command here is not simply just to to weather our trials with self-pity. The command is to rejoice in our trials. But how do we how do we do that? Well, it doesn't mean that that we love or we seek out pain and misery and, and trouble for the sake of those things. We're not masochists. And we're not stoics. And so we don't have to face all of our suffering without any emotion. It means that we're to look through our suffering to see God's purposes in it. How do we rejoice in our sufferings? It means that we look through the suffering to see God's purposes in it. And if God is shouting to us in our pain, as, as Lewis has said, then we need to listen to what God is, is saying to us. Verses 3 and 4, Paul tells us three things that God is doing with our suffering. First of all, he's producing perseverance and patience in us. Hardships, they, they can produce hardened and, and bitter people. And, and that reality actually proves Paul's point here. In effect, he's, he's saying that only the person who is justified, who has received the Spirit of Christ, can receive hardship not, not simply by chance, but from the fatherly hand of God. And so our suffering cultivates patience, and it strengthens us to endure. One of God's purposes in suffering is to produce the fruit of the Spirit in us. Second, it demonstrates the provenness of our character. We know little of our loyalty and our allegiance to Christ until it's been tried and tested. Peter says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So suffering serves as a, a litmus test of our faith and character. Is it real? The person who suffers has a faith that's been refined by fire and they know that it wasn't consumed on the other side. Their character was proven true and they can rejoice because they know that their faith remained and God sustained them in it. And third, most, but most significantly here, Paul tells us that suffering engenders hope. And notice how, how hope comes at the end of this list, after the suffering, not before the suffering. So we don't get all stocked up on hope before our suffering takes place, just hoping that we have enough hope in our gas tank to get us through to the end. No, God's purpose is to produce hope in us through the suffering we experience. Hope is the the byproduct here. And hope reminds us that this world is not yet as it will be. It fixes our eyes forward. Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, this suffering, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our hope is like a, a muscle preparing us for glory, and suffering is like lifting weights for us. It's like working out, and our hope, it can, it can wane if it remains unused, but when it's exercised, it, it grows stronger as we await the glory of God, and so we should consider it a, a privilege or a, a joy, as James says, to carry the weight of tribulation and suffering today, because it's producing, uh, it's preparing us to carry the, the much greater weight of glory that's to come. We should consider it a privilege to carry the weight of tribulation and suffering today, because it's preparing us to carry the much greater weight of glory that is to come. We need spirit-produced, hope-filled muscles. The, the justified person knows that they are at peace with God. They know that God is not punishing them with suffering, but purposefully molding them to be more like Christ, exhibiting endurance and character and hope. Everything changes when you understand what, what the point of it is. And if you understand where things are ultimately headed, then suffering begins to make sense in a whole new way. This leads us into the the last point this morning, which is the the future of our justification. If justification is a thing that has happened in the believer's past, and suffering is something that believers experience presently, what's what's the hope that believers wait for in the future? In Romans Chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, Paul says, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. The the justified believer is the believer on the way to glorification, we can interpret all of our suffering, all of life's hardships, knowing, as, as one theologian put it, that suffering is the road to glory. The cross points to a crown, and the timber of the cross becomes the tree of life. Oh, that, that God would reorient us to see our suffering with that kind of, of hope. In verse 5 of our text this morning, Paul goes on to tell us that, that hope is, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Our sin causes us to miss the target. It misses where we're, we're headed. We, we fall short of the glory of God on account of our sin. It, it robs us of our goal and it makes us fear humiliation and, and wrath on judgment day. In other words, it, it puts us to shame. Our sin puts us to shame. But Paul says that, that hope does not put us to shame. Hope helps us to reach the glory of God. Hope brings to mind the, the peace that we have with God, our our justified status. Hope makes us desire obedience and godliness. But but hear this, friends: it's not because we've scrubbed ourselves clean. It's not because we've somehow merited God's favor. It's not even because we we love God so much and look at how many Bible studies I lead and how many people I serve. No. It's because God has poured his love into our hearts. It's because God gives. He's given us his spirit as a seal and a guarantee of his love and our justification. We hold back our love with others. God pours his out. We are selfish and stingy, but God is benevolent, and he is gracious. The fountain of of his love is abundant. It's overflowing, and we don't deserve any of it. Verses 8 through 10 of chapter 5, Paul tells us that God even set his love on us while we were still sinners and his enemies. He loved you in the past when you were at your absolute worst, and he loves you presently in the midst of your suffering and and hardship, and he will love you forever. And what does his love do to us exactly? Well, his love makes us more than, than conquerors. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that God's love has conquered death, and in him we too have overcome the grave. Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And his love also changes us. It doesn't just leave us where we are. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from sin and, and condemnation as justified believers in Christ. And, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, we, we know that those whom God justifies, He always sanctifies. He's making us fit for our future. And like I said earlier, we aren't yet ready to carry the weight of glory that's out in front of us. So we need to be acclimated to heaven. We need tough feet. We need to be made more like Christ. And isn't it amazing how how growth in this area of of sanctification often happens? The, the, The petty little sins that you once felt powerless to overcome by God's grace, you are putting them to death. And the, the people around you, they actually notice the changes happening. The, the, the porn addiction that enslaved you for years was, was finally confessed to a friend. And by God's grace, you've taken steps to make sure that it has no foothold in your life. The, the overwhelming feeling you had of, of welcoming your first child into your home and then God says, here, I, I think you need another one. Or, suffering cuts you out at the knees, and God uses that experience to to reorient you so that you would place your ultimate hope solely on Him. Little by little, in each of these things, God gives us more than we can bear so that He can make us more like Christ. His love has been poured into our hearts, and it changes us. Makes us more like Christ. And the Spirit is our trainer that He's given us in this process of sanctification as we await the glory of God and the the glorification of our bodies. Look what Paul says at the end of of verse 2 of our text. He says, And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice. Paul argues from reconciliation to to hope. He argues from justification to joy. Paul knows that that justification is the the first stop on the road to to sharing in God's eternal happiness. And that through Christ, we've obtained access into that fellowship and grace and joy and glory. Listen to, to what Jesus prays in the Gospel of John. He prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. We are, are headed there to be with God, to be with him in his glory and his joy and his love. And we rejoice because we know that he's going to take us there. Because Jesus has secured our justification and our salvation on the cross. And because God has poured his spirit out into our hearts to to confirm this reality. As we close, I want to to ask you, if you're here this morning, you've not yet experienced the, the fellowship of being at peace with God. And if you can't make sense of any of the the hardships or suffering that you face in life, and you don't know what God's purposes are for you in those things. And if you don't know where you're headed in your future, then I want to welcome you this morning to Jesus. Only Jesus truly knows the, the freedom of having perfect fellowship with the Father, because he never sinned. Only Jesus knows the the significance of the peace we now have with the Father because he knows what it cost him on the cross to satisfy the righteous wrath of God. Only Jesus truly knew the glory on the other side of suffering and it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame and now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Only Jesus fully knows the joy of sitting at the right hand of God where there is fullness of joy and glory and pleasures forevermore. And it's his righteousness that's declared ours in justification. So we look to him as the author and the the perfecter of our faith, our advocate who pleads our case before the Father, the one in whom we have been justified and forgiven and in whom we will be glorified. And so we cling to him by faith. If you aren't doing that today, turn from your sin and trust in him now. The, the fellowship and the, the fortitude and the, the future of justification are yours in him. We, we know this to be true for no one who trusts in the Lord, will ever be put to shame. Let's pray. Lord, would you take us higher up and higher in? Would you expand our faith and our capacity to know you? Would you help us to live confidently today as justified sinners? Help us to live in the, the freedom of forgiveness and the freedom of fellowship. Would you help us to, to grow in hope as we experience suffering in this life? Would you show us your purposes in our pain and in the, the hardships that we, that we feel and that we face? Would you make us those who can look forward with hope to the glory and the joy that will be ours when we see your face. Lord, uh, uh, until that day, let us keep looking to Christ, our advocate, the one who pleads our case. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.